On this week's Thoughts from the Shade, we will dive in on the NLCS-bound Philadelphia Phillies, the 6-0 Philadelphia Eagles off of a gigantic win Sunday night against the hated Dallas Cowboys. Take a look around the NFL, the college football spectrum, specifically the joke, the debacle, the embarrassment that is Penn State football right now. Uh, we'll get to our spot in the shade line, and we'll take it from there. Uh, and just a reminder that this week's episode and every episode is presented by Menard Premium Detailing, the number one auto detail business in Bucks County. You can follow them on Facebook, Instagram, check them out on YouTube, and at MenardPremiumDetailing.com. Let's go. Welcome back, everybody. It's episode 66. Don't forget, wherever you're listening, Apple Podcasts or Spotify, hit us with that five-star review, that five-star rating. Helps us out. We appreciate it. Uh, and it also helps me out that Bomb is back this week. I'm not riding solo. So welcome back, Bomb. What's happening? Uh, anything to, to update the people on, on your on your whereabouts or your week off? Well, week off, some could call it a week off, some could call it a week on. I was out in San Diego for a work trip. I was staying a mere two blocks from Petco Park. Two bo- two blocks from Petco Park. I've been to a ball game there before. They were out of town. They were playing in New York and L.A., et cetera. But I was out there. I was scoping out the town. I was in the gas light, the gas light, whatever you want to call it, district. Well, guess what? You can have a district but the gas is coming out of Sir Anthony's right arm. The gas that's coming out of the big lefty. The big guy, Jose Alvarado, man. This team is primed. I can't believe it. And I, I kind of need you to do a little bit of the heavy lifting uh, this week on the fills. You know, I think you owe me one for last week. But uh, had, had some external arrangements, some previous arrangements this weekend. Uh, that that didn't allow me to fully plug in for 18 innings of Phillies baseball this weekend, but three to one series win over the Atlanta Braves. Uh, game one of the NLCS out in San Diego. It's a shame he didn't get to travel this week instead of last week and try try to sneak in there. Uh, but I mean, the last time I I checked in with the listeners here, uh, we were off the game one win against the Braves, and then. Game two, you have Zach Wheeler pitch a pretty nice game. Acuna gets plunked, takes about 30 minutes to decide to stay in the game. And then Reese Hoskins with the fielding blunder. And, you know, you have a tie series going back to Philadelphia. That's kind of where we left off. And I'll just say, when they lost that game two, which was a very winnable game, aside from, you know, the one mistake that they make in the field and and not scoring any runs, obviously, uh, I I thought it was a bad omen. Uh, but, man, was I wrong. The Philly faithful brought the juice we talked about previously. Like, is this place going to sell out? Because, you know, the people didn't show up down the stretch. But we were way off with that, and, and the people showed up, and, and the team gave them something to show up for. Not to cut you off here, but the reason why we were way off with that 
was because they played that wild card round on the road. They played those two games. They, and then everybody got the Phillies fever. And everybody, all the crop toppers, all the Simmons slurpers, all the ones worshippers, they haven't been down to a game yet this year. Jetro's bumping off. The tailgate lots are bumping off. Dad, get the debit card. I want tickets. It's so funny the amount of Snapchat and Instagram content I saw this weekend of people people down there that that I didn't see down there once once this year. Um. And the BCI Bears, you left out the BCI Bears. They were out there, and, and JT delivers with the inside the park home run in game four on Saturday. Uh, I mean, I, I talked about just kind of the way they won the first three games that they did in the playoffs and, and building confidence offensively uh, and also kind of that bullpen game uh, in, what, game one when Ranger started and only got you three innings, like – and clearly, they have the confidence on both ends. You have Syndergaard going in game four. So, they're just – it seems like they're clicking on all cylinders. And it's it's baseball, man. We said it before. You get in, you get hot. Um, it's not like football that we talk about a lot where you can, like, totally just, like, outwill somebody and push them around. But they, they've been dominant, and it's kind of in a, in a different form just with, like – Good vibes and, and good pitching and good hitting and and feeding off the mania at Citizens Bank Park. I mean, what are your thoughts? Yeah, a couple thoughts. Obviously, the fans showed up. They, I mean, it reminded me a lot of two thousand eight, two thousand nine. That time frame where you watch a couple innings of those games at the bank and you realize like this team's not going to lose at home. I have that feeling going into this Padres series. I mean, the fans just bring an extra level of juice to, to, to the team. Um, but m- m- more so than that, let's talk about the players and let's talk about the strategy. I see a coach that's willing to steal in the right situations, that's willing to put a butt on in the right situations. I see players that look totally different than the guys we had here in, in years past, right? So, you know, for years we're trotting out Odubel Herrera in the center field. And you get a guy like Marsh, who admittedly wasn't wasn't all that hot in L.A., but comes over to Philly, his bat looks out, and he hits hits a big three-run homer for you. Uh, you, you get a guy like, um, like Stott. We talked about the fact that this team needs some youth and infusion of young guys. And, you know, I can only help but think, like, if Joe Girardi were still here, I mean, obviously they'd be home right now, but... D.D. Gregorius would have been the starting shortstop, you know, heading heading into September. So it's it's more than the fans. It's more than, you know, the Stars, the Hoskins, the Harpers, the, um, you know, the, the Real Mutos of the world. Obviously, you know, Real Muto with, with a big series, the, the big inside the park homer. Harper's like 8 for 16 in the playoffs. But they have these other fringe guys that can help lengthen a lineup and put some pressure on the defense and the pitcher. We saw it with Stotts at bat in game three. Nine pitch at bat. Strider finally tries to drop the back foot slider on him. He hung it, and the guy hangs in there after fouling off fastball after fastball and hooks the slider down the right field line. And that was set up by Marsh running the bases the right way. So when you have enough of these guys who play the game the right way, run hard, take the extra base, and have a good baseball IQ, 
isn't it shocking? Like things turn your way. Yeah. And that's, that's how I feel. I mean, it, it is shocking, uh, to see what they've done, how they've done it. You mentioned Girardi and the DDs and the Odubles. Like if any of those guys are still around, like I don't think any of this is happening. Um, and I feel like one of the the big like pain points coming into to game three and coming back to Philly was like the Hoskins and the Schwarber talk and how the bats were so cold through the first, what, four games of the playoffs there. But um, I mean, I've killed them. We've killed them. You know, the the error in game two hurt, but like I I gotta be gotta be completely honest. I watched the clip of him hitting that dinger in game three and spiking that that bat like a hundred times on Friday. Um but that that's that's the opportunity that you get to redeem yourself when you're playing on a team where, where everybody's kind of doing their part and, and Bryce Harper's squaring around for bunts and Schwarber, even though he's the leadoff guy, he's not a fast guy. You know, he's got guys on base, and he's got a bunt, even though he hit 46 home runs. So uh, it's just a, a really interesting thing to see, uh, and they're they're just coming together. And it's, I don't know, it's it's just, uh, is, is it special? Are you going to kill me if I say, if I say it's special? Because it, it feels like, you know, something's cooking up here. No, and, I, and frankly, I mean, A-Rod kind of talked a little bit about it in the postgame of one of the games, but – you know, this analytics revolution where we all sit on our hands and and strike out and wait for the three-run homer. Like, yes, the Phillies have hit three-run homers, but a lot of those rallies have been started by getting a singular run across the plate, manufacturing a run, and then getting a guy on and the threat of a bunt or the threat of the guy on first taking off leaves the pitcher in a situation where they're either quicker to the plate or they're grooving a fastball. Next thing you know, it's three or four nothing. So, you know, I, I think, I mean, and, and you watch some of it yourself and love to get your opinion, but like this brand of baseball to me is how Major League Baseball gets back to more of a watchable product. The playoffs have been electric, like absolutely electric. Take the Phillies out of it. I mean, the Astros had an incredible comeback in their series in a couple of the games. They had an 18 inning game where they won one nothing with a dinger. Um, you know, Yankees guardians go to, go to five. I mean, it, these, these, these playoffs have been unbelievable. And the idea that the best team, the team that wins 111 in games, you know, if you're not playing right at the, at the right time of year, you know, you're bounced. See you later. A lot of complaints about the, the new format and, you know, the Dodgers getting knocked, the Braves getting knocked. Um, I don't know if, if anybody high up in the AL is getting knocked. I guess the Yankees are playing tonight, uh, but the Astros are moving on. But, you know, do, these people want to hang regular season banners. Like, what, what do you get for winning 100 games? Should we rerun the clock 10 years and and look back to the Phillies teams of 2010 and 2011 and hang, hang them a banner? Uh, and they got shafted in a format. Uh, I think it's a joke. It's, you know, you, you earn your way in, whether you're one or six, but once you get in, you, you still got to deliver and you still got to perform. Like there's, there's plenty of teams across all the sports that kill it every regular season uh, and don't get anything done. But in terms of the product, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and act like I, I watch 162 games or I watch every MLB playoff game, but I talked about it last week. Like what you saw from the Phillies in game one against Atlanta, taking the balls the other way, 
building rallies through singles, through guys stealing bases, guys willing to, to try to lay down a bunt. Um, it, it's definitely more exciting to watch uh, than, than sitting around and, and watching a two-to-one game and hoping somebody just, like, pops in out of the park. Um, but, yeah, they're, they're putting up a lot of runs in a variety of fashions, and it's it's been exciting, and it's obviously uh, a good recipe for success and, and winning in the postseason. Um, I don't I don't know if you had anything else to give kind of on the Braves or, or looking back this far, but um, you think about the San Diego Padres and moving on to this NLCS, I feel like the Phillies uh, got some pretty high marks at the trade deadline, bringing back Robertson uh, and bringing in Marsh. Um, but I feel like the Padres were kind of, you know, the uh, the crowned winners of the MLB trade deadline. Obviously, bringing in Juan Soto, one of the best young players, if not the best young player in baseball. Um, five and six seed, going back to the to the to the honks and the pundits complaining about about formats and whatnot. But these were teams that were in a position to make to make the postseason, and then they just strengthened their their lineups uh, in order to have this success in the postseason. And here we are. So, I guess, what are your thoughts on the Padres and this series going forward? Because to me, it's like. I don't want to be like the the pessimist or whatever, but like baseball's so hot and cold. Like I feel like it could end at any point, and the Padres are are a good team, deep team, deep lineup. Um, but like like I said, it's just like, dude, this the Phillies are rolling right now, and the vibes are are very good, very high. Padres are a good team, man. They have a good offense, well rounded offense, power at the corners, uh, power in the outfield. Um, Machado, Bell, Soto, etc. They're they're a good team. Um, all that said, I I just they have a they have a a solid pitching staff in terms of starters, but I don't think they have at least from what I've seen this postseason the front line arms that you know that the Phillies have. I think Wheeler and Nola have taken it to a totally different level, totally different you know level and uh i guess shame on me for 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 uh rip, ripping aaron nola but this guy i mean his stuff right now is electric i mean fastball up to 95 uh, 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 an incredible curveball which is just you know falling off the face of the earth and then you got wheeler who's just pounding 99 at the top of the zone pumping See, that, that gas dude just just uh you know, just ripping off sliders. And, and I just think those two guys at the front end of a series, if you can, if you can win, you know, game one or game two, and you come back to Philly, I, I, I don't, I don't know how they, I mean, I think the Phillies win this series in, in five or six, to be quite honest, because the way those guys are pitching. And then when you have Sir Anthony coming out of the pen, you got Alvarado, the way he's looked, I mean, it's, it's pretty, pretty impressive the the power and, and the movement that these guys have with their pitches so you know do the Padres have good pitchers sure you Darvish right doesn't have a great postseason reputation part of that is due to the fact that the Astros touched him up with all the uh <laughs> the sign stealing sign stealing um so he's been better as of late but you know he doesn't scare me um he doesn't scare me at all so yeah, I mean, I give the edge of the Phillies here. And if you can get a guy like Schwarber going at the top of the order, watch out. 
be a big plus. And, and we got to get revenge on Snell for plunking Harper and having him miss, miss ha- half oh, the year here. Wouldn't that be fucking great? Right. He was the guy. Um, but yeah, you, you mentioned some of the names and, and the arms and yeah, Aaron Nola, he, he's certainly the lo- delivered thus far in the postseason. I think, uh, he can shed kind of the, the big game, uh, scaries, so to speak. Uh, and Wheeler as well. Both both have pitched phenomenal in their two starts throughout the playoffs. I thought another thing that was interesting when you kind of talk about like the chemistry and the vibes, uh, when Hoskins botched that ball, Zach Wheeler after that game said that that one was all me. I threw a bad pitch. I, I thought I thought that was really really interesting. Not that he was going to go in the media and throw Reese under the bus, but for him to put it on himself and saying that he hung that slider. I was like, damn, all right, like we got each other's backs. We see the Eagles and, and all the Sirianni and Hurts post-game clips of d- about doing shit together and having each other's backs. So uh, really exciting stuff. I thought uh, – I, I forget where I saw this, but I thought it was funny. Remember when Machado visited the Phillies when he was a free agent? And yep. wasn't there like a guy in a construction vest – like outside yep. of the park, like didn't he like did he flip him off or heckle him or say something to him when he was like heading out? I don't know if he flipped him off or heckled him, but he was it was something with Machado coming here on his visit, and the guy was like giving him either a piece of his mind or like trying to get him to come here or something. Yeah, but yeah, I saw that meme or that people 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 are saying he's got to uh, he's got to be the one to throw out the first pitch in Game Three on uh, on Friday. Construction gear, like if we could do that, that'd be electric. I'll, I'll tell you, not, on an unrelated note, um, I was listening to an interview with Rob Thompson after they after they won the NLDS, and I don't know if you noticed, but the players were, you know, they kind of like lingered on the field for quite some time. The fans st- stayed in the, in the stands. People were hooting and hollering. They're bumping the music. They're playing the song. The whole thing, and. I got to tell you, man, this guy, Rob Thompson, like he just knows, he just knows how to read a room and like knows the right thing. So do you recall when the, when the Phillies are wearing their like NLDS hats and they all take their hats off and like start waving to the fans, like on the field? Yep. I don't know if you caught this, but there was an interview, I think it was with John Clark where Rob Thompson like inadvertently said, Oh yeah, the players were thinking of taking a lap. And they they ended up waving their hats. <laughs> I didn't I didn't catch that. And like, what's that say about Topper? Well, I think basically, you Topper, think he shut it down? Topper was like, "Hey, assholes! Like, it's the NLDS. You want you want to salute the fans with a, you know, basically like a stick wave out there." You know, when you beat the Bruins uh, in October, great. But come on, man, we're taking a lap like it's the World Series. So I just like that. I like a guy who has won with the Yankees, knows what it's like to win. He sets the expectation. They come in, they want to pop the bottles. He's asking JT how many more wins we got. They're spraying them down. I love it, man. I mean, I think the guy just like knows how to read the room and doesn't let these guys get too high. I totally didn't catch that, but that's awesome. Like I'm watching the uh, the local news, eating dinner tonight, and, and they're running a uh, you know the little graphic along the bottom of the sports talk, like city of winners, 
And and I'm I'm like it is an exciting time and and we're going to the NLCS we're going to baseball's final four we we have the best team in the NFL right now but city of winners what what did we win like hang on a second so like I get it it's it's the media and it, and it's the news but it's it's funny like if Rob Thompson saw that he's probably like just like motherfucking the people on TV like hang on a second we we still got a lot of work to do I get that but I also think. I think this kind of stuff is contagious when you have athletes in a city that aren't fat and happy and want to win for the first time where like, dude, the Eagles are all business. The Phillies are like pulling for the Eagles. The Eagles are pulling for the Phillies. You got to beat it at all the games. Um, I don't know, man. I think that kind of stuff, like you see it in Boston with, you know, the run that the Bruins, the Red Sox, you know, the Celtics won, the the Patriots, obviously, with all their success. It's almost like, you know, that kind of mentality kind of bleeds over across the other teams. And like I said last week, if we just, if we could just get rid of that fraud that is Glenn Rivers, you know, this, this city might have something. It's even bled into the Wells Fargo Center. Two yeah, and a half flyers, man. Barely, man. Barely. <laughs> uh, I guess the le- last thing looking at this series – this NLCS series with the Padres, uh, we're always looking at lines here. Uh, game one, it looks like Padres are a minus one twenty-five favorite. Uh, on the series, they're a minus one twenty favorite. Phillies are a slight dog, um, but they've been a dog this whole way, and you know we we love a good underdog in this city. So you've got you've got Phillies in five or six. I don't. I, I can't even make a pick. I mean, I'm not picking the Padres, but I'm I'm not going to sit here and uh, and put any kind of hoax or voodoo on this. I'm going to go back to what my old buddy, the Cuz Anthony Gargano, said. You just got to enjoy the journey, man. So we're in. Uh, I, I wasn't enjoying the journey, you know, when we still had Joe Girardi or when we were uh, stumbling down the stretch, but I'm enjoying the journey now and looking forward to game one. NLCS, man, pretty crazy. First time since 2010. You talk about betting. Um, I gave you Phillies preseason plus 2,500. I gave you before the playoffs, Phillies plus 3,300. They win against St. Louis. I gave you the cash-out option, and they're going to be a dog in every series. They were a dog against the Braves, dog against the Padres. They'll be a dog against the Astros. Maybe not the Guardians, but the Yankees if the Yankees move on. Um, So just take them, man. Enjoy enjoy the journey. I think they're down to plus 380 to win it all. Yeah, I say just bet the series. There's no sense betting to win it all. Just bet every series. They're going to be a dog every series. Love it. Love it. Uh, well, before we move along, uh, just a reminder, you can follow us at Thoughts from the Shade on Instagram and at TFTS Pod on Twitter uh, for our weekly gambling picks, which didn't do so hot this week. But we earned the title. We haven't, we haven't uh, you know, removed it yet. Fade the Shade. So if, if you did fade this weekend, it, it was a good weekend. But we're still, uh, you know, we're still we're still holding water here. We're still treading water. Nothing nothing disastrous. Just a tough week. Yeah, you're still above 500. I think I'm right at 500. And I got to be honest, man, I was on the right side of a lot of these games. So I don't, I really, I'm not too worried. That's, a, that's, that's how I felt this week, too. It wasn't like a total, total blunder, a total blast fest. Uh, aside from maybe the Nittany Lions plus seven. But before we get to them, let's talk about 
the Eagles uh, and the 26-17 win over the Dallas Cowboys Sunday night heading into the bye week. Um, like I mentioned at the top, long long weekend uh, outside of, of the TFTS scope for me. And I got to be honest, I was ready to throw in the towel in the second quarter, you know, once that halftime whistle hit because it looked like the route was on, but it wasn't, um, you know, kind of kind of the – Par for the course thus far for the Eagles, not not playing the full 60, uh, you know, as, as we hear uh, with the team on the ice across the street for many years. But uh, another week where when you had to have a drive, they had a drive, they closed the door, uh, and they shut up that bum. Lawrence, who was talking that shit all week, Jalen Hurts hasn't faced the Cowboys yet. So... <laughs> I, I I couldn't believe that, but six and zero headed into a bye week here. I mean, you look at the schedule coming up. It's Pittsburgh. It's Houston. Um, there's Green Bay in there. There's some other slop teams in between in this horrible NFL season, this crazy NFL season too. But uh, I mean, what'd you take away from the game Sunday night? I mean, they they did what they had to do going into the bye. Um, would I have liked a blowout? Of course, who wouldn't? It's it's the Cowboys. But at the end of the day, they got up. They got up early. They took a lead. They put pressure on the quarterback. They turned him over. And then when Dallas started getting back into it and you had to have a drive, they went on one of these long seven, eight-minute drives and ended in seven. So, well, I guess it was six because they went for two. But – I mean, I, I remain impressed. I remain impressed by the offensive concepts. I remain impressed by the uh, defense's ability to turn the opponents over. I think the, the Eagles are the first team since the 2001 Jets to lead the league in turnovers while simultaneously having the fewest amount of turnovers on offense through six weeks. So... Um, not not done that often where you lead the league and turning somebody over and then also protect the football. I mean, the mentality that this guy Jalen Hurts has, they are taking on his personality. The, the guy the guy is just process-oriented. Not, not the process. He's process-oriented. He's all about the next rep, the next play, getting better. Not yesterday, tomorrow. And going into this bye, it's early. I would have loved to have seen it later in the year. You know, keeping guys healthy for that reason. But I think it keeps this team from kind of smelling themselves. And they're going to go and look at what they did over the first six weeks, what went well, what didn't go so well. And I think make some adjustments that are ultimately going to end up being positive. So I am fired up. I mean, I told you during the draft, this is a Super Bowl winning team. So here we are six weeks in. Let's fucking roll. It's crazy, man. Yeah. Um, And I think like... I feel like they've struggled with Dallas kind of like recently. I mean, I think last year they were they were resting guys in the finale in the home game, but Hertz had a really tough game uh, at Jerry World last year. And, and you just think about kind of each year these Dallas games are, are the biggest games, and, and I feel like recently like the Eagles have kind of struggled to win them. Uh, and they won last night, and not only did they win, uh, it, it was pretty dominant. I mean, the, most of these games this year, I mean, there's there's been very little doubt. Uh, or the game's been in very little question a lot of the way. Um, 
The other thing that kind of stuck out to me early in this game, I talked last week about the Dallas defensive front and the pass rush and how they get after the quarterback. Those little plays, those little like, you know, triple option plays or the RPO plays where they fake the handoff left, they, they read Parsons, and then they're swinging A.J. Brown out into the flat, your, your, your best guy uh, in terms of yards after the catch. I, I mean, they, they must have hit that two or three times uh, for at least like 15 yards, and it was just incredible to me. And then you see the memes online, it's like, What's the best way to attack, like, you know, one of the, the defensive player of the year? And it's like, block them, double team them, don't block them at all. And like the, the light bulb going on. And that, it's amazing that, that that's what the Eagles did because you think about all, all the bright young minds in the NFL that we like to talk about. You know, they, they'd be double teaming Parsons and making, making, uh, making Dan Quinn sh- shift them around and try to get them free. The, the Eagles didn't even block the fucking guy. They they just read him, and, and and took him to the woodshed. It was I I was I was impressed. I mean, you talk about last year, and you know we just kind of became a, a run first team and, and pound the ball and lean on that O line. Like this is the creativity and kind of uh, I, I, maybe maturation isn't the right word, but the development of, of Steichen and Sirianni that that we really wanted to see. Dude, that play that play specifically that you mentioned with that little that little drag route. That, that Brown runs across the line of scrimmage is lethal. And, dude, what do you see in, in weeks ahead? They'll be hitting that for 20 or 30 yards down the field to Devontae Smith because he runs, he runs a little post route, which serves as a rub for anybody coming across the field when they're in man. Um, it's the creativity. You're right. Like this, the maturation of Stike and the maturation of Sirianni. And I think – more than anything, like Sirianni, when he gave up play calling last year, it was because he wanted to be more of like, you know, a team, all three, all three sides of the football type of guy where he's managing game situations, clock situations. You, you watch these other coaches, this, this, this bum out in, in, uh, in Denver, which we're going to watch in a few minutes, hack it. I don't know what he's doing, but like we, we hire this guy. With, with 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 really limited experience um, managing a franchise, managing a team. And, I mean, I hate to do it, but there's something going on. The, the, the Eagles have some sort of a secret sauce with Laurie and, and, and Roseman. Their ability to kind of find these guys who were overlooked, and you could say, yeah, they had a connection to Doug. You know, they brought him in because he was here and he was one of Andy's guys. But then to bring in a guy like Sirianni, I mean – I, I give him credit. I give the front office credit. Wh- whether they coach him up, whether they put him through situations, clearly there's something the Eagles have that other teams don't, right? And we know they have a great analytics department in terms of what are we doing, goal-to-go situations, fourth-down situations, two-point type situations. We know they have that. But there's another element where, like, you know, Sirianni, you may not agree with the play calling in certain certain situations, but – more often than not, he's 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 making the right decision for for what the team needs to do, and he's not he's not from anybody's coaching tree, the Shanahan McVay, and he, he doesn't get you know the national stroke uh, on a weekly basis or every time he's on uh, Sunday Night Football in, in the national spotlight. Like they don't they don't talk about this guy like he's a boy genius, which which is totally fine. I I personally love it, um, but. In terms of of Sirianni, I mean, the guy was super animated last night. They they draw the offsides or the the neutral zone infraction 
uh, I don't know if it was third or fourth down, down in the red zone early in the game. And then then at the end of the game, the Eagles are are killing the clock and and Dallas is taking shots and Sirianni's, that's game, man, fuck you. Like, what do you you make of that? Because I I feel like if if the Eagles were like three and three and off to like a so-so start, that would really like piss us off. Uh, but but given that we're six and zero, like are you are you all in on that kind of shit right now? Yeah, it works because they're winning. And if you remember, what was it week one where he was he was pointing at the fans? He's got his arms raised. I mean, and we kind of like made fun of that. You know the stuff with the with the uh, the roots and the and the plants and the growth. Uh, last year was a little hokey, and he said it around two and five. But it's funny, like they've gone on this run since he said that. And you can see a guy who's really coming into his own skin. I mean, he has that, uh, he, he's more comfortable in his own skin. He has that first press conference where everybody kind of clowns him. Um, but he, if you notice, the thing I really have to respect about Sirianni is he has that first press conference. Everybody clowns him. Everybody, you know, says, what, what the, what's wrong with this guy? And instead of going into a shell, which a lot of people might do, they might just say, hey, you know what? I'm going to be the Belichick. I'm not going to talk to anybody. I'm going to do nothing. No expression. No, like this guy really leans into his personality. And it's like if you could take an Eagles fan, and I know he's not from the area, right? He grew up in New York. But his family's a football family. But if you took like an Eagles fan and gave him like some sort of a non-mouth-breathing football IQ – like Sirianni's about what that guy would look like. He might have an arm sleeve in terms of like a tattoo. Uh, you know, he might have a pierced ear or whatever. But like Sirianni's basically like an Eagles fan with a real football IQ. He's cursing at the guys. I mean, Fletcher Cox looked at him. He's like, dude, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Fletcher Cox was like, are you serious right now? Like, what are we doing? Like, he was getting a kick out of it. Yeah, they're, they're definitely loving it. So I guess I guess it's, it, it, it's all good and well, but... You know, everything is uh, is rosy and cheeky when, when you're winning. Um, so, like, I'm not hating on it. I, I just don't know that, that I'm crazy about it because, like, what happens when shit hits the fan? I mean, not 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 that shit is going to hit the fan with, with this team. I mean, that, that that's a far cry. I mean, I mean, anything can happen. But I just know that, you know, if, if we were if we were an average team and he was getting like that in that, that Cowboys game off, off a of one win to, to get around 500 or whatever it might be, you know, we'd be like, dude, shut the fuck up. But like you got Cox eyeing him up and he's in the post game presser saying, you know, I'm just fired up. Like I got these guys backs and everything. So it's good to see. And like, especially when you see the clips throughout the week, you know, he, he, there was a clip of him holding up like the Dallas socks or the beat Dallas t-shirt uh, in one of the meetings, and he's like, I, I was a fucking idiot for, for wearing this last year. Like, it ain't about them. It's not about our opponent. It's about us and pushing each other and, and doing it together. Uh, it, it's There's no bigger game. It might be bigger for the media and the fans, but it's all about what we do. And, you know, him and uh, Hertz are, are certainly in line and in sync on kind of that approach of each day getting better and never good enough. Um, you know, even though we can see that that – it's not perfect for 60 minutes, but man, it's, it's damn better than what every, all other 31 teams are doing in the NFL thus far this season. You have to wonder too, does, does the Sirianni kind of, I don't think it's a stick. I think it's just who he is now that we've seen him for, for this long. 
Like, do you think his emotions work well because you have the juxtaposition of your quarterback who's so even keel, who literally probably sees the game, plays the game like a coach. His dad was a coach. Like, Jalen shows literally no emotion on the football field. So does that juxtaposition, that guy who's your leader, coupled with the fiery head coach, the guy who is maybe going to say a little more than he should, maybe going to react a little more than he should, is that why that kind of works? Yeah, you gotta you gotta think that's a piece of it, and I'm not I'm not making this comparison uh, in terms of of success or, or greatness or winning, but think about Belichick and Brady. Belichick was the quiet, not the fiery guy, right? And and Brady is. We saw him again this weekend laying into his offensive line, but he's always been the fiery one, and and that was a uh, a relationship, a leadership combination that that worked really well for a long time. So. Just uh, it, it, it's an interesting dynamic around this team right now, but uh, it's just great to to with this social media and all this shit that that the Eagles post up, like just to see the mindset that you know they're not maybe they are small themselves, but you know their their leader isn't, and, and the message is is clearly communicated that you know they haven't played to uh, the standard uh, as as they're calling it. Can I, can I ask you something? And I'm, here's the difference between guys like like you and I and guys who are processors and Wentz worshippers and BCIBers. Um, because I'm not asking you to sit here and give the guy a five-year extension at $200 million or whatever it is, because we don't have to. But are you prepared to say that Jalen Hurts is the franchise quarterback? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Are you? Yeah, I don't even th- I don't even think it's worth debating. No, um, I mean I I don't want to hear anything about quarterbacks in the draft. I mean, unless the guy gets injured, breaks his leg or something like. In my mind, this is this is the quarterback in the next five years, um, and, and let's just move forward as such. Is he going to regress? Possibly. You know, it's a, it's a long year, but I've seen all that I need to see. Um, the guy is a winner. The guy has this team thinking about games the right way, thinking about their season the right way. This guy's the fran- this guy's the real deal. This guy is totally different than that bum, deuce, 11, whatever you want to call him, you know, getting getting Yeti Coolidge for the guys up front. It, it ain't fucking Christmas, okay? We're here to do a job. And I also think about watching, like, the Bradys and the Rodgers and not, not that he's in the same class, the Staffords, like – it's a new game. It, it real. It's a new NFL. It's a new game. Um, you know, it's it's Jalen Hurts. It's Patrick Mahomes. It's Josh Allen. These guys can move. I mean, maybe Justin Herbert is is kind of your prototypical like pocket QB. But the game is is certainly shifting away from that. Um, what whether people like it or not, I, I think it's clear. I mean, even with like all this pass rush stuff and an undersized lineman, the Parsons that were college linebackers going to defensive line and pressuring the quarterback. It's, it's a new game and it's about finesse. It's about speed uh, because you, you see the, these old guys and Rodgers and Brady that are standing back there. They're not very mobile. I mean, Brady never was. Aaron Rodgers was a little bit. But, you know, these guys face a little bit of pressure and they're, they're completely rattled and that's where the league is going. It's a speed rush. And you got to have a quarterback that can evade that pressure, uh, as well as somebody that can deliver the ball. And, and Hertz has clearly progressed there. It's not perfect. 
He threw one ball last night early that I was like, holy hell, how'd you miss that? But that that's anybody. That's any quarterback. And yeah, sign me sign me up. Um it's just a scary thought to think about the money that Midget Mary got and what Hertz is gonna have to get. Uh I mean Lamar Jackson, he bet on himself. I don't think that's turning out to, to go too well for him thus far. Um but yeah, Hertz Hertz is gonna get paid and, and rightfully so for me. And and shame shame on all the all the people who uh who said that this guy can't improve as a passer, who said he doesn't have the arm to do it, and Wentz has the big arm, the flashy arm, and, and this guy doesn't have a good enough arm. I remember people saying he wouldn't be able to complete 60, 61, 62% of his passes. I think he's up to 67 or 68% on the year. And, and, yeah, you can look at the weapons and say, hey, you know, they, they have great receivers. But at the end of the day, you still got to feed those guys, so – I'm with you, man. This guy is uh, – I couldn't be happier. I really could not be happier. And you still got to run the football, which – Yep. Keep giving Miles those flowers, man. He's he's stepped up in a big this big way this year, ha- have, having a nice year as well. Um, yeah, I mean, we didn't men- mention uh, – what's his name? Garner Johnson, CJ. I mean, dude, that, what, a, what a dog he is, man. He's making plays. He's hurting his hand and going back out, ma- making another pick. Um, just, just had to shout him out quickly because I mean, we're talking, talking all offense and coaching did and everything. But, his, did you see his interview after the game with with the game balls? Yeah, I did see it, but I didn't. I don't know that I really took anything away. So Melissa Stock asked him, "How does your hand feel?" And he says something along the lines of. Oh, I don't feel anything. We won. It feels great. Yeah, like, yeah, I think it was like be- better now. We got the dub or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, dude, these guys are just about the dub, man. I love it. Yeah, that's that's what we need. That's that's what we've been. Uh, that's what we yearn for in this city, and we're get we're getting a lot of it uh, from from all the teams down in, in South Philadelphia. So exciting times. Um, I don't know anything else on the birds. You you want to go around the league i mean your, your boy 11 gets a big win on thursday night against chicago <laughs> big win? i'm kidding for 99 yards that was one of the most horrific games i've seen in a while and still chicago should have won that game with a touchdown at the end um and then the guy's out for four to six weeks and then i look at the schedule i look at the schedule okay and the Eagles are four weeks from now. So this fucking prick. I, I got I got the whole thing. Uh, uh, I'm all geared up to go uh, do the flag ceremony on Monday Night Football. And this pussy, if he's not on the sidelines in street gear, hocking his A01 bullshit and handing out macaroni and cheese and a turkey sandwich to the middle class homes in Cherry Hill before the game, I'm going to lose my shit. He better be there. He better be serving food out of the food truck. He better be on the sidelines because I want to see him. I mean, you you called that in the summer that that he wasn't going to play in that second game when when they come to the link. Dude, he's a mental midget. We know, and, and every, everybody's come along to to learn and and know and laugh at it now. Uh, you had you had Falcons over 49ers. That was one of our few winners this weekend. How about your New England Patriots putting a beat down on the Browns? I mean, they, they had a tough start, but they're back to three and three. And the Zappy experience is uh, it, it's it's on. It's on in full force. That kid looks pretty good. And then you look at what he did in college in terms of like his statistics. He dude, he lit people up. 
And when they played up against like other, you know, like real FDS, teams, you know, like this dude was lighting teams up, man. I mean, he can sling it. Yeah, he's no joke. I, I saw I saw some stat on him over the weekend. Uh, is he Western Kentucky? Yeah. Well, yeah, he had played like four games in his career against FBS teams and like lit them up. Um, what else? The Packers. Uh, Juice and I have officially been eliminated from Survivor. We we took the Green Bay wow. Packers. We were bet- we were between them and the Rams. Uh, the Rams took up I believe about thirty eight percent of the field. Uh, had the Rams on Sunday, about 9% had Green Bay. We thought, you know, LaFleur undefeated after a loss at home. They're at Lambeau. It's the Jets. But, man, this uh, Rodgers, it's over. He's talking about retiring after the season for for the third time in a row, third year in a row. It's ugly. Just a crazy, crazy NFL season. I'm not going to go through every game. I don't know if you caught the end of that. Giants Ravens game, but Lamar throws the late pick. Giants oh. t- Giants take the lead. Then he gets the strip sack. Um, I mean, I I got Lamar Jackson in fantasy. I think he's an exciting guy and everything. But that that bet on himself. I mean, unless he turns the ship around. But uh, even that game against Cincinnati on Sunday night, the week before, he missed a couple like wide open guys for touchdowns. Uh, I'm willing to say Jalen Hurts is better than Lamar Jackson. I'm willing to say it right now. I mean, I'd rather have Jalen over Lamar, but I, dude, I'm a Lamar Jackson guy, man. I mean, I, I like, I respect guys that bet on themselves. I think he's got a little unlucky here in terms of like how some of these games have ended. And yeah, he's thrown some picks in kind of like late game situations, but they've been a little, I don't know, they've been a little funky. Um, I still think the Ravens are a tough out. They're a tough team. And uh, I think it's possible the Giants are actually better. You know, as much as as much as much people say the Giants are back, they're 5-1, and one, like I feel like everybody and their mother was on the Ravens yesterday. And, um, and me. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the Giants are, 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 are pretty legit. So, you know, I don't think that's an awful loss for, for Baltimore to go on the road to the Meadowlands and lose that game. Going to be a tough game for the Eagles later this year, too. Um, but, yeah, need the Ravens to get it together. I got them. I got them to win the, the North and the AFC. But, yeah, cr- more credit to the Giants. And they they got uh, Williams or s- somebody, one of their pass rushers, who missed a lot of early time. I think he made that play on the strip sack. They got Thibodeau coming along. I mean, even though he's crying uh, a- after his sixth regular season game, he was crying tears of joy that – they pulled out that dub, but now that they uh they got the pass rush, Saquon's popping off, and uh, those guys are believing in Brian Dable. He's done a nice job thus far. Uh, Pittsburgh shocks the Buccaneers in the Steel City. That that's, I mean, not that I saw the game, but that's a bad luck for for Tampa Bay. Um, Midget Murray. Another before, before we move on from Tampa, I mean, is there any chance to like if I'm Tom Brady, like it would this be the week where you retire and try to save your marriage? Because like it seems like he came back just because Schefter scooped him. So like why not? I mean, why not just retire and try to save your marriage? They stink. Uh, yeah, that ain't that ain't a question for me, but yeah, they're uh <laughs> 
They've... Like Todd Todd Toilet Bowles is is horrific. He was horrific with the Eagles. He was horrific with the Jets. And then he says, "Oh, these guys, these guys are super. They think they're because they won the Super Bowl. You're the head coach, dude." Yeah, they're bad. Um, they they got to get it right. Three and three. That, that's a bad division. They'll probably end up winning it still. Uh, Midget Murray putting up a whole nine points against one of the worst defenses in the NFL in Seattle. Uh, and then we had the Bills beat the Chiefs at Arrowhead 24-20. That was kind of a that was kind of a goofy game. Wasn't the shootout we got in the AFC Championship last year. I feel like watching that game, um, you know, at least both of those teams, you can slow them down, right? Like they they both kind of provided a recipe uh, or or put something on tape that you can see how to shut those teams down a little bit uh, instead of you know giving up the thirty eight to to forty that you're used to seeing out of them because those are kind of the two teams uh, that I would put in the top tier of the league with the Eagles right now. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But. Clearly beatable. Clear, clearly, you can slow them down. Uh, crazy week. We're getting ready for Monday Night Football between the Broncos. We're not, not going to talk about Titans. Or, sorry, uh, Colts, uh, Jags? No. Well, I, I told you I wasn't going through every game. Um, what, what do you got on the Jags? Frank Reich is such a hack. They talk about that guy being the brains of the operation. <laughs> I think Matt Ryan threw the ball 60 fucking times. Yeah, 58 times. times. And they luckily hit on a pass like 30 yards, 35 yard at the end of the game. They were cooked. Um, fuck, man. That would have been a, a great win for the Jags. But, yeah, that was – I just can't stand watching Frank Reich. Nah, I'm with you. Um, but, yeah, Monday Night Football we're getting ready for. Broncos at Chargers. That line dropped from six to, like, four, which leads me to believe that Broncos is the play. But, man – Dude, no way. After Thursday night football last week, that that like you know, I had to I had to tuck my tail going to a corner. I mean, it was a terrible Thursday night game, but I, I couldn't put my face back out there with a Thursday night pick after going with Denver no, the week before. Too like these teams who have the mini buy after the Thursday night, like generally they're going to be favored, and it's under the assumption the head coach has the ability to scheme something up and study over the week. Like Nathaniel Hackett's not that guy, so you know. Uh, look, I'm happy to to talk next week if they magically pull something out and Russell Wilson magically throws for 350 yards. But let me tell you something: it ain't gonna fucking happen. No, no, I think, uh, but the I, I don't think it's the play. I don't I don't think it's a bet. It's not a bet for me tonight. Um, but but the Chargers, I, I was high on them coming into the season. That they've uh, they've looked pretty bad as well, and they make a lot of bozo decisions with that crazy head coach. Uh, they gave the Browns every chance, and then another one to win that game the week before. So, like I like I said, I just think the theme of this this NFL season thus far has just been kind of like chaos and a lot of poor quality coaching uh, and playing as well. Um, but hopefully, Russell Wilson can can maybe complete a couple passes to his own team tonight. We'll have to see. Uh, we gotta we we gotta do it unless you want to hop in with anything else. But man. My Nittany lines, dude. No, they're they're not. No, they're not. Don't don't call them that ever again. They're the Penn State grift Nittany lines because <laughs> they have a bunch of grifters. They have a grifter head coach. They get a grifter ninth year senior quarterback. The guy's older than Jalen Hurts. Gee, um, 
I'm speechless. I mean, that was one of the most pathetic, disgusting performances. I blame you. I blame anyone who went to Penn State. I blame anyone who has a diploma from that university. I would be asking for a refund. A refund. Yeah, that was, it was just super embarrassing. Um, you know, to run, to get, get outplayed, uh, you know, plays run in the first half, 50 to 14 Michigan, and you got a one point lead at halftime. I mean, it, it was hideous that first half, but Penn State makes a couple plays and, and gets a couple of red zone stops and somehow comes out of that half with the lead and you think, all right, well, maybe we get into the, the locker room, we regroup, and, you know, we realize, hey, uh, we shouldn't be in this game whatsoever, but we have the lead. Let's go Let's go grab, grab the balls of this game and try to win it, but... Then you remember uh, James Franklin is the head coach, and you know that this this team and this program has no balls. So just a, a completely gutless effort out of the bye week. Uh, I mean, what did I talk about last week on defense stacking the box? You didn't see a lot of that. You saw how small, how weak they are up front. The defensive line just got completely bullied. Um, you, you saw linebackers that are slow, that are small, that can't tackle. Uh, I think one of the safeties on Penn State, Brown, had like nine tackles in the first quarter. Um, that's a really bad sign uh, when the other team's just running the ball at will. Uh, and, the, and then on offense, um, you know, they, they can't block. They can't open up holes. Uh, I don't think Clifford was like running for his life in terms of being under pressure like the Michigan game last year, but then you just – you have no creativity in the passing game. You can't you can't scheme anybody open. You don't have the athletes to get open. Uh, James Franklin every summer comes out and talks about this tight end room, and it's the best in the country. Uh, I, I don't know if a t- if a tight end had a catch on Saturday. I mean, that might be an exaggeration, but I think Clifford only completed like nine passes. So where is this best tight end room in the country? Uh, the, the guy is just a hot air balloon. Um, it, it's bad all around. And he comes out after the game. You know he's always got these. He's always got something to say after these these big games, these embarrassing losses. You think back to Ohio State; they blew that lead. Chase Young tackles Miles Sanders on a fourth and five handoff. Uh, just another horrific play call of the Franklin era. Uh, and he talked about you know they need guys to go to class after that game. That that's what they needed to do to go from good to great or great to elite. Well, this weekend after the loss to Michigan, uh, James Franklin talks about how they need to recruit better uh, and how not everybody can be Aaron Donald. And I believe he was referencing like their undersized defensive linemen, uh, you know, blowing things up and making plays. Not everybody can be Aaron Donald. I I don't really know what that means. I don't know what fucking planet this guy's on. But when you, when you come out, hold on, hold on. Yeah, it's he went to the he went to the cross state rival, but dude, so he says he says we got to recruit better. So you just got your 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 doors blown off, and you got you say we got to recruit better. What message does that send to your team to your players that that play for you right now? That 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 to me says the players I got right now aren't good enough which is a disgrace because, you know, Franklin sat in their living room and, you know, buttered up the parents and everything and said, come play at Penn State. You know, this is why he come, come to Penn State to play in these games. Um, but but ju- just a 
a total disgrace. I'll let you jump in. I got a couple other things, but man, I got to catch, catch myself. Cause it was just, it hurts. No, catch your breath. I mean, I think you know it. So he's going to sit here and blame recruiting, which he's responsible for, by the way. Um, but I mean, at what point is there any type of introspection? You said it, right? You said like, they basically refused to put eight in the box the entire day. And I mean, I can understand why that is. Michigan is known for airing it out. And it just so happened that this week, Jim Harbaugh decided to run the football. 418 yards, seven and a half yards per carry, and over 40 minutes in time of possession. Oh, my God. I can't believe it. Penn State had a bye, and they must have been preparing for the pass. Makes no fucking sense. You have a head coach. You have a a guy who's leading the uh, program who at this stage of the game is, wait for it, I think three and seven after the bye. Okay, this is what tenth year. Yep, three and seven after the bye. He's now two and fourteen against top ten teams. He's won four games total against Michigan and Ohio State overall combined. And and he wants to talk about recruiting. He doesn't want to talk about scheme. He doesn't want to talk about uh, 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 you know I don't know development. How about the idea that this guy says coming into the week, here, here was his big game plan. All right, I'll give James Franklin the defense, right? He's got Manny Diaz, the, you know, you get the turnover chain, they're already geared, geared up, ready to go. And you just assumed Harbaugh was going to chuck it around the field, you know, like, all right, they ran it. But, you know, James Franklin was expecting something out of his offense. And, in fact, earlier in the week, here's what he said. Uh, this stretch, quote, was the moment Sean Clifford had prepared for, end quote. Let's talk about that preparation. Earlier in the week, he's on a podcast with Kyle Allen and that grifter, that fucking grifter that shows up on my Instagram feed, that loser. You want to talk about tight ends? You want to talk about the original bum tight end that walked through freaking State College, Pennsylvania? It's that loser who looks like a fucking thumb. Adam Brenneman. Brenneman. You know, his shit. Do you get this shit? I don't know if, you, if it's is it only me who gets this stuff, the suggestions on Instagram. You know, Adam Brenneman's got a podcast now. The guy fucking couldn't spell podcast if you spotted him a pod and a CAS. And he's sitting here with a podcast about the time I had to tell Urban Meyer I was and come into Ohio State. Shut the fuck up, you grifter. You did nothing in college, and now you got a podcast talking about how great you were in college. You stunk. And now you got the freaking starting quarterback with the other bummed out an AM Kyle Allen, who's a little Johnny Manziel wannabe, and he, he was a hack in the NFL, and they're all on a podcast two days before the game. And Sean Clifford's talking about limitless, changing college, being, being about more than four, four, four years, 40 years. Buddy, you've been here for 40 years shut the fuck up <laughs> oh my, dude i thought i thought i was gonna catch my breath but i guess not um yeah it dude it, it is a grift like for for clifford to still be playing and he can't play and, and he's not he's not fucking preparing for these games he's he's preparing for for his, his business and uh, his entrepreneurship and, and li- you know his business is limitless, but his fucking football game is limited. He fucking stinks. <laughs> I can't look at, dude. I can't look at it anymore. I, and I, I, I can't see the raising canes and 
all the deals throughout the week. Like, out to Limitless and see if we can get a plug. We'll, 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 we'll pay him 500 bucks to come on here and say it's the official podcast of Sean Clifford. Oh, dude. But it's it's just so true. Like, it's the, it's the biggest game of the year thus far. You know, you, you'd think it's Clifford. It's his, it's his eighth kick at the can. Maybe we try to go out in the right way, try to go win a big game for once. No, he's, uh, he's busy pumping his own brand. Uh, but in terms of like the game and getting back to Franklin and everything, like, so you you say you got to recruit better. So you throw your players under the bus that, um, you know, you, you didn't you didn't get the right players. Um, you have like the local honks, the state college local media that is talking about. Well, Michigan has more talent and blah blah blah. Well, well, we hear all about how James Franklin is a great recruiter, and it feels like every year. Um, you know, it's all they're young guys. They're young guys. You know, they, they need to develop. And then the next year comes, and, and the next group of guys needs to develop. Well, what the fuck happened to the guys that needed to develop last year? They don't develop anybody. They do, they develop these guys that contest at the combine and have some success in the NFL, but they don't have any real success at Penn State. Um, and if you if you don't have the talent to match up, why don't you scheme something up to to at least make the game competitive uh, and, and light a fire under your team? Uh, and p- put them in the best position they can to win. I mean, it's the cliche Andy Reid. I didn't. I didn't put them in a position to win. You never hear that out of James Franklin. Uh, like, where, where is the accountability? There, there never is any. Uh, you ne- you never hear about. Well, we we could have schemed this up better. We could have got more creative. We could have tried this. We could have tried that. I told you last week for all the fucking people in state college that don't watch the lick of football anywhere else. Oh, they kept it vanilla the first five weeks. They're gonna really open it up for Michigan. Did it look like they opened anything up? They opened up a fucking dirty diaper on Saturday. That's what they fucking opened up. Um, and like to 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 drive the point home in in terms of, of talent and not having enough talent. How does Maryland have a chance to beat Michigan at the big house in the fourth quarter early in this year? What kind of talent do they have? They don't have better talent than Penn State. Um, I mean, every other team on their schedule, Colorado State, one of the worst teams in the country, UConn, one of the worst teams in the country, uh, they did better against Michigan's rushing attack than Penn State did on Saturday. Uh, it. <laughs> It, it's a disgrace. It, it it would be one thing if you played a close game and you lost a close game and you were respectable, but that that was an embarrassing performance. You didn't look like you belonged. You looked like a junior varsity high school team uh, going up against the state champs. It was an absolute disgrace. Dude, it's not, he talks. Dude, he, he talks about like you know the recruiting and the talent. It's not like like it's not like Michigan had multiple guys go to the NFL draft last year and, like, all new guys starting. Like, that's exactly what happened, actually. Uh, I mean, Michigan got utterly dominated in the Orange Bowl last year by Georgia. That was the gap between the the Big Ten and the SEC. And, like, what's the gap between Big Ten 1 and Big Ten 3 or 4? It's also enormous. So, like, the idea that Penn State can play with an Alabama or a Tennessee or or a Georgia is so fraudulent. It's so disgusting. Go play in the fucking Outback Bowl. I'm so sick and tired of it. In fact, I'm tired of the Big Ten. I'm tired of Ohio State, tired of OMG. I'm here to say it. I'm here to tell you this right now. I want to see Alabama. 
I want to see Tennessee, I want to see Ole Miss, and I want to see Georgia in the college football playoff. Those are the four teams I want to see. I'm done with the Pac-12. I'm tired of Clemson. I can't stand Dabo Sweeney. Harbaugh's a bum. That team stinks. Ryan Day's a loser. Just give me four teams in the SEC and call it a fucking day. <laughs> I mean, I, I would certainly take three right now. I, I would take three right now with Tennessee, Bama, and Georgia, but... We were both on Penn State, plus seven. We texted before the game, and it wasn't uh, so much of uh, uh, a backing or like a, an encouraging thing for Penn State, but it's just like I don't think Michigan's that good. Uh, well, news for us, Penn State is just that fucking bad. And, and again, to go back to these these central PA idiots that, that don't know a thing, but they, they, they write for the, the, the uh, you know, I, I don't even want – want to say it because I'm not calling anybody out. It's just the mindset up there and, and the problem, you know, with, with the Kool-Aid that, that's going on up there. Um, Penn State was a seven-point dog. These teams that are 17, 21-point dogs put up such a better fight. The market makers, the, the non-biased experts in Vegas thought that Penn State would play them to a touchdown. Penn State didn't even belong in the fucking building. So, so who who is that on? That's I don't believe it's on the kids that play on the team. It, it's on the guy that runs the fucking ship. Have you noticed too, like the bald idiot that wears the the shaded glasses, like has no clue how to bring in difference makers that are that are like uh, uh, portal guys. You know what I mean? Like every other team. The reason why so many teams are able to cover double digit spreads is because you can go get a guy in the portal and you and you could bring him to your school. Where, where are these guys for Penn State? Like, like, they, like he talks about recruiting. Like, all right, I'll, it's difficult to recruit a 17 and an 18-year-old. But it's not like you can't go into the fucking portal and go get a guy who sat on the bench in Alabama for two and a half years. Why can't you go get that guy? No, we get, we, we get a guy from Western Kentucky that had 1,400 receiving yards last year, but we don't have a quarterback that can get him the ball. Fuck, man. It, as a taxpayer in the state, I'm disgusted. Um, uh, and, 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 and you as a graduate, I hold you accountable for this. I want to root for Penn State. I want to be a fan of Penn State. You, know, you live in the state. You want the team to do good. But this this is not me. This is not what represents me. The, you know, it's disgusting. And, and the, it's, it's grift. It's the Penn State griftney lines, dude. Everything's grift. How did this guy get 10 years, 100 million? It doesn't represent me anymore. And... I think, you know, I, I always allow myself to get a little excited because that's, that's the fan in me. That's the, that's the homer in me, the alum in me. But what, what did I tell you before, before the season? I, I had him at 5-1 and one to this point, batting a 1,000, and I had this Saturday night the whiteout against Minnesota. They're a five-point favorite in the whiteout against the fucking Golden Gophers. They're going to lose this game too because you know why? You know why? This is a common theme that Penn State crumbles every time they lose because every time they lose, their head coach, their leader, after he goes in the locker room after they lose and he doesn't offer any criticism or, you know, constructive advice, he just, I tell the guys I love them. Then he goes up to the fucking podium and says, I got to recruit better players. That's why, that's why these players fold. That, that's why these seasons fall apart because their leader is, is a fraud. I saw something on Twitter that said James Franklin got $100 million because of Saquon Barkley and a blocked field goal against Ohio State. It's totally true, man. It's totally and true. We talk about it all the time. Like, the only reason this guy got the bag was because a guy who was recruited as a safety turned out to be an absolute gamer quarterback, Trace McSorley. If not for Trace McSorley, 
they'd be on their third head coach by now. Yeah, it's almost like I regret I regret Trace because we still have Franklin, but I can't do Trace like that. He's a good guy. He's a Seattle guy. Yeah. We can't we we can't do Trace like that. We thank we thank him for those runs. That was a In good fact, run. I, I think the, that the James Franklin uh, uh, grift. I think I think uh, he should give ten percent of the cash to Saquon and ten percent of the cash to to McSorley. And ten to Joe Moorhead too, the offensive coordinator for those Joe those Moore. years. And then maybe McSorley can get a, a, a free chicken sandwiches for life from uh, Clifford. Yeah. What a fucking disgrace. Well, the, the only thing that, that I'll hang on for this year is if we see Drew Aller. So that, that, that'll that be a big question going forward. I mean, it's been time. It's a shame they threw the kid in when they're down like three scores in the fourth quarter. Um, but Cl- Clifford got hurt. He always manages to get hurt when like these, these big games are in question, you know, it's uh, it's ironic. I want to close. Uh, oh, hey, you know, before before you close, yeah. I, I will say I got I got to give a big hat tip to uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. I got to give a big hat hat tip to DeAndre Swift. I got to give a big hat tip to Kyle McCord. Three guys who saw through the grift, saw through the grift, and they said, you know what? Send me to Georgia. Send me to Ohio State. I'm not going to Penn State. So it, it says so much that that these. Best players in PA don't want to go play for this guy. I mean, some of them do, some a lot of them don't, and it's it's clear why. But uh, I peruse these message boards that I, that I talk about in the honks, um, but it, it's not a total honk fest anymore. You know, these people catch one disgusting L, and I, I took note of a couple messages that I wanted to read on the pod. This one's from C Berg. Michigan rush yards yesterday are the most since 2016 when they ran for 481 against Rutgers and won 78 to zero. You mean to tell me it is because of our undersized defensive line? They ran for less yards against Colorado State, Hawaii, Yukon, Maryland, and Indiana this year, and every other fucking team since 2016. It tells me we are soft, unprepared, and lethargic. Michigan did not punt once. Forgot to mention that. Not fucking once. This has to be a record. Franklin has no excuses. Our talent level is not that subpar compared to every team since 2016. It is called Franklin Stinks and is full of piss and vinegar. Great post, Seaberg. Uh, Good stuff, Seaberg. The other one I wanted to read is from The Heel. How bad was Saturday, and how did, how did we stack up to other teams Michigan has played? Michigan ran for 418 on Saturday. They ran for 337 against Indiana and Iowa combined. Michigan had 100 more yards against our defense than they did against Maryland, 168 more on the ground against us than Maryland, 1.3 yards more per carry against Penn State than all Maryland. UConn held... UConn held Michigan to 98 less yards than Penn State could. Iowa had 41 yards more of offense than Penn State did. Iowa. Colorado State and Hawaii had more first downs than us against Michigan. Maryland had more yards passing against Michigan than we had total. Maryland had more than twice as many first downs as Penn State, so did Indiana. So just take that all in. And when you consider that it's a fact – that Penn State has more talent than all those aforementioned teams. Who's to blame? Who's to blame? How how I, how can anybody defend this? I, I'm done. The only thing I'll say is I'm all done. you got to know is Micah Parsons is like the, the greatest edge rusher of all time in the NFL, and he was playing middle linebacker at Penn State. And you, and I'm watching that game on Saturday and checking Twitter and Parsons and uh, Shaka Tony, a former player. They're all like saying. 
you know, we got to make some adjustments and be, being critical of the game plan and stuff. Like, I don't know why, how these guys are doing this and, like, why they're surprised. They played for the fucking guy, but that's beyond me. Um, let's let's let, let's get to our, our last bit here. Uh, we, this is a healthy episode, but it's early in the week. We got a lot cooking. It's a great time of year, obviously. Uh, we, we had one spot in the shade call. Um, it's a familiar foe. Now he left, he left two messages, bomb. So I got to play the, I'll play them back to back for you. Cause you know, one's an act and one is, is more of a statement, but let's, let's hear, uh, from our caller on the spot in the shade line. And as always, you know, we want to hear from our listeners The people please chime in with whatever you got whenever you want. Uh, the number is two one five three eight five five one six four. Hit us up. We'll play it on the show. We'll respond. Uh, let's see what we got this week. When I was a young boy, they put away those young boy ways. Now that I'm getting older, so much older, I long for those young boy days with a girl like you. <laughs> Lord knows there's things we can do, baby. It's just me and you. Come on and make it up. It hurts so good. Oh. Come on, baby, make it hurt so good. Sometimes love don't feel like it should. You've got to make it hurt so good. What an incredible weekend to be a Philadelphia sports fan. Holy Hannah, man. We are rocking and rolling now. We're cooking with peanut oil and we're going in. We're going in hard. We may never come out. We may may never come out. Lots of the shade. <laughs> I think you know who that is. Well, you know, everything's coming up maniac. You know what I mean? The guy becomes a, a, a social media influencer. And next thing you know, every franchise in the city is going on a run. Uh, and and I, I flip open Instagram after I'm done scrolling through that grift, Adam Brenneman and his podcast. I see the maniac, and, and he's he's riding around a bicycle in the parking lot, and he's got the music bumping over top. Hurts so good. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta love the maniac, man. He just brings the heat down there at the stadium. He's the best. I don't know how he's like alive on, on, on this Monday and and calling in. I mean, he's down down at the bank. I don't know if it was Friday or Saturday or both, and the, and then he's down there for Sunday night football. Uh, you know, drink drinking those CIL iced teas with everybody down there. So I mean, holy hell! Uh, but, but we appreciate the call and and big ups to the maniac. We'll have to have him on again. At some point, I will. I do, I do have to plug. If you haven't seen this, Maniac Malloy on Instagram, you have to go watch this. After the uh, the Phillies won, won the NLDS, uh, there there was a, a reaction video from the Maniac, and I'll just say things got emotional, and it fucking cracked me up. But it also it also hits him. You know that's why they call him the Maniac. He's a he's a full blown Maniac. He's a Philly Maniac. And, uh, you know, the, the performance of the team here has got him, got him feeling some type of way and it, it's, it's hurting him so good. So thanks for the call maniac. Hope you're doing well. You're killing it out there. And, uh, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Anything else for you tonight, bomber? Should we go see if, uh, Russell Wilson can, can hit the chargers in the chest tonight? 
Uh, let's go watch this hack. All right, man. Let's shut it down. Uh, we'll thank everybody for listening. Uh, let's go Phillies. Let's go Eagles. Eagles bye week this week, so no Eagles. But, uh, yeah, like we always say, thank you for listening. Uh, and share. Share the podcast with somebody that doesn't know about it. Let's bring them on board. Let's get the people involved. And let's keep cooking this thing up. We'll talk to everybody next week. Take care.